So I haven't always been a part of a vineyard church my whole life. When I was a little girl, my family uh, attended Catholic churches. So I grew up in the Catholic church. One of the things that the Catholic church is really, really good at is structure and systems. And, and that's honestly because they've had the most time to practice, haven't they? Every week before Mass, which is what Catholics call their church service, every week before Mass, the kids would go to Confraternity of Christian Doctrine. And that was kind of a mouthful, so we, we just shortened that. We called it CCD. We'd go to CCD every week. And that was kind of like Sunday school, right? It's a little bit like, like what we would know as Sunday school. Um, but at least when I was growing up, it was this really, really structured, very intentional, very intense program of training. And it started out at a, a very young age, and, and, and you went through all of these important practices and doctrines of the Catholic Church, theology, and all that kind of stuff. And the idea was that every kid that was coming up through this program, you know, they would be on the same page, they would know all the things, they would learn all the things, they would basically grow up to be good Catholics, Right. So CCD. And I had a great experience. Let me tell you guys, growing up Catholic, I had a wonderful experience. Um, Learned a lot about who God is and how he feels about me in in that context. Um, And I had a blast in CCD because I was kind of this like uh, studious kind of bookworm kind of a kid, like from a really early age. And so in CCD, we got to do workbooks and we got to do textbooks and we got to do all kinds of stuff that felt like I was getting to go to school on an extra day. And so I thought that was pretty neat. I thought that was pretty neat. But um, when I was probably, I I think I was about seven, it's really hard to kind of remember the timing. You know, it's a little fuzzy back at that age, but I was probably somewhere around the age of seven. We must have gotten to the part of the program where you're learning about like giving and generosity and that kind of stuff. And maybe we talked about it before, but I don't know because this day like stands out in my mind. It's one of those super sharp flashbulb kind of memories because that was the day that they gave us the envelopes. Okay, they gave us the envelopes. Now remember, I told you I'm this odd little bookworm kind of a child. So not only did I like school, but like office supplies, like, like cool pens and pencils and you know, notebooks and pretty folders. You know, I'm really honestly, if I'm being real, I'm still like that. I'm still like that. When I have a really bad week and I'm stressed, you know what I do? I go to Staples. I do. I go to Staples and I walk around, like sometimes for like an hour until I feel better. And I just pick everything up and look at it. Office supplies, okay? It's my love language. But back to second grade CCD, okay? They handed out on this day this tiny, perfect, amazing, like it was like this big, little box of envelopes. My box was pink, obviously, because I'm a girl. Pretty little pink box. And you guys, you know, you know what? They had my name on them. Like every single one had my name on it. And they were numbered. And they had, like, I can still, I can see it in my mind like it's a photograph. There was this little illustration of this pretty little lamb on it. And I think maybe like some lilies off to the side, but the little lamb, that was what got me. And they were beautiful. 
and they were so perfect, and they were mine. They didn't have my parents' name on them. They had my name on it. They were mine, and I loved them, and I thought that was just about the coolest thing that I had ever seen. So you probably immediately, if you didn't already know, you probably figured out you know, what those were for. They're personalized giving envelopes. And I thought it was so cool because it made me feel so grown up because every week my parents would give me a, a dollar bill to put in the, in the offering plate when it came around. And now I had these, these amazing little perfect little envelopes and I got to put my dollar inside there instead of you know, balling it up in my sweaty little fist waiting for the plate, right? So I thought, that's amazing. My envelopes, I got my envelopes. But my stepfather did not agree. My stepfather did not agree. When I found my parents in the lobby after CCD was over, and I was so excited, I'm showing them my amazing little box of envelopes. Miraculous, that's what I called it, the miraculous little box of envelopes. I'm showing my stepdad. And he was furious. He was, he was furious. His face literally turned red as I watched. And he told me through clenched teeth, he said, you take those envelopes straight back to that teacher and you tell her you will not be using them under any circumstance. I was, I was shocked and I was devastated. I burst into tears right there in the lobby in front of God and everybody. I made the biggest scene like only a seven-year-old girl can. And I begged and I pleaded, but he just would not have it. And my mom was backing him up, and so I didn't really have any recourse. And so reluctantly, I took my tiny little precious box of envelopes, and I drug my feet all the way back to that classroom, and I left them on the desk. And I'm pretty sure I even, like, backed out, just looking at them longingly as I, you know, said goodbye. The little envelopes. I was really upset. I whined all the way home in the car. I'm sure I pouted the rest of the day like only a seven-year-old girl can. I was really good at that too. But I felt like I had been wronged. I had been so wronged by this, this senseless and unjust, I would, I would go so far as to say dictatorial decision. Devastated. But later... Later, when I was getting ready to go to bed, my mom finally had a few moments alone with me, and so she was able to take some time to address my confusion and my distress. And what she explained to me was that in the church where my stepfather had attended, which was not the same church, it was, it was the one he'd attended when he was a young man, um, they had also had envelopes at his church, and he had a little box. His were blue because he was a boy, right? Uh, but his, his parents had the adult version of those envelopes. And in that church, those envelopes were not just a helpful system for the bookkeeper to keep track of contributions. The amounts that each family gave were published in the weekly bulletin. And there's kind of this collective like gasp at that, because that's just not something that we do in, in, in a lot of Protestant churches. But I guess it must have been kind of common practice, because I was talking to my mom about this story earlier this week, and she said when she was little, you know, her dad wouldn't let her use the envelopes either, you know, for that reason, because he wanted their giving to be private. And it bugged her too. Um, now, she didn't throw a fit like I did, because she was a way better kid than me, or, you know, at least that's what she told me, I don't know. That's what she told me. 
But as much as some of us, you know, we shudder at that idea of like our giving amounts being public and being published like that, that wasn't even really the kicker for my stepdad. What the problem was is that in that church, some of the people that attended, they used that information as a reason to belittle him and bully him for many years. You know, he was a second-class citizen, and so was his family, because they couldn't give in the same measure that some of the others could. And even at seven years old, I, I could understand. I could, I could wrap my mind around that, how it might really, really hurt to be bullied and belittled for something that, you know, was different about you that you really didn't have any control over. And so I kind of let the whole envelope thing drop, you know, I let it go. But I will confess that, you know, for years to come, I would, I would feel this tiny little bit of jealousy when I'd see one of my CCD classmates carrying their little envelope into mass. So why am I telling you guys all this today? Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because what we're going to talk about today is interdependence within Christian community. That's what we're going to talk about today. Our, uh, our area leader, David Stark, came down a few weeks ago, and he spent Sunday with us. He you know, shared, shared a wonderful message on Sunday morning, spent some time on Sunday afternoon with um, our leaders. And, and his message kind of inspired this sermon series that we're right, right smack dab in the middle of. So his message was, was really spot on. It was really you know, back to basic stuff. Three essential elements for growth and health in our Christian life. And he took his primary text out of 1 Peter 2. Verse 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, who was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's what we learned from David. The foundation has to be Jesus. Dependence on God. Bob talked to us last week in, I'm going to say, the most amazing message that I've heard that man preach since he's been here. Bob talked to us last week about how dependence on God involves the idea of staying open to the mystery and the wildness of a God that wants to surprise us. He wants to surprise us continually, and we have to be open to that. And he is building us. He, the, the foundation is Jesus, and he is building us, the people in this room. He's building us, the church, his people, living stones into a spiritual house. And so interdependence and community, that's the part we're going to unpack a little bit today. But also keep in mind that it says he's making this spiritual house to be something. It's for a reason. It's for a purpose. It's to make us into a holy priesthood. And so next week we'll be talking about obedience and ministry. Because all of us are charged with bringing the good news of God's love to every nook and cranny of this world that is desperate to know how God feels about them and how he sees them. Nobody gets a pass on that. But for today, we're camping out on the topic of church community. Church community. And for a lot of us, 
for a lot of us, this can be a really emotional, just a loaded topic of conversation, can't it? If we're just being real here. For me, that day with the envelopes as a child, that was the first time that I can ever remember having that kind of like realization, that moment that I, I was like, oh, oh, like his experience was so different than mine. What he experienced was not the same thing that I was experiencing. And so something that I thought was really cool was a source of pain and shame for him. And so that's why I told you that story, because I just want to take a minute just before we even get any further and just remember together that we all come to Christian community carrying some things with us. Nobody arrives here in this building in a, in a vacuum. Nobody's a blank slate. We come carrying some things with us, don't we? When you walked into this building today, you carried with you a unique set of life experiences. Things that have happened to you that have not happened to me and I wasn't a part of. And those experiences have caused you to form a perspective. And you formed a set of opinions and you've formed a set of beliefs and you have formed a set of preferences. And for a lot of us, unfortunately, the truth is that we have formed a set of baggage that comes along with Christian community. And for every single one of you, they are different. Your sets are different. And I have mine too. And yet somehow, somehow what God calls us to do is to take all of everybody's everything and bring it to the table and make a family. That's hard. That's hard. That's not easy. But you guys, with all of my heart, I believe that it's worth it to try. And more important than what I think is the fact that Jesus thinks it's worth it. Did you know the church was his idea? You know, if you don't like it, you're going to have to take it up with him because he's the one that thought of it. He's the one that thought of it. The church is Jesus' idea. So, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we approach community in such a way that our hearts are postured properly toward one another and toward God? Well, that's the, the question that the bulk of the New Testament is trying to answer. There's tons of passages we could look at. There's any number of concepts that we could pull out of um, Paul's writings, Peter's writings, all of the epistles, those kind of things. They're all talking to the church about how do we do this thing? How do we live this out? But I settled on this particular chunk of Galatians because there's a couple of things that I find really interesting in this passage. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 and 6 today. And I'm going to read some, and then we're going to kind of jump back and forth a little bit. So Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk by the spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now I'm going to skip verses 19 through 25 for now. For now, I'm skipping them. But don't worry, because we're going to come back to these because they're important. Chapter 5 ends in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So I submit to you that healthy interdependence is the goal of Christian community. What is interdependence? You may or may not be familiar with that word. So that's part of a concept in psychology that's used as like this framework for how relationships function, relationship dynamics. A dependent relationship is like what what children have with their parents. And and that's healthy. That's healthy when children are dependent on their parents to meet their needs. A dependent relationship. So hold that in your mind. But when children grow up, if everything goes according to plan, if all's going well and barring some sort of, you know, disability entering the picture, whatever, children grow up and they become what? Independent. Right? Independent. They're no longer dependent on their parents. They're meeting their own needs. We've heard the term codependent. That gets tossed around a lot. Um, Codependent is a person that allows a person that should be independent to continue to be dependent. Dependent adults, those those are those kind of people that, like, sometimes you just don't... You don't know what to do with them because they, they kind of suck the life out of you and, and it's always all about them and the relationship isn't, isn't reciprocal, right? So dependent adults that should have become independent for their own emotional needs, but for whatever reason, that process has been stunted. So if you're codependent, you're participating in their dependency by allowing it. So it's important to kind of hold those terms over here because when we, when we talk about interdependence... That's like the holy grail of mature adult relationships, interdependence. And what it means is that you take two mature adults, independent human beings, and they enter into a relationship by choice. By choice, they agree to enter into this relationship where there's this sense of balance and cooperation and this term that I want you to remember, mutual interplay. Mutual interplay of need and support. And this is what community in the church is meant to look like. This is what we're meant to be. Mutual interplay. This is what we have to keep in mind if we don't want all this stuff to go off the rails, right? 
So in some ways, you might think of this mutual interplay as checks and balances, right? It's like a negotiation. It's a, it's a give and it's a take and it's a back and it's a forth. And, and we see it all throughout this passage. And that's why I chose this passage. You, you know what I'm talking about here? It says, you are free so you can serve. Those two things are a check and balance for each other. Carry each other's burdens. Each one should carry their own load. Receive instruction, but don't be afraid to share what you know with the one that's giving you instruction. That's how mutual interplay works. These are the kind of verses that are really super practical. Because we as human beings, we have this tendency toward the extreme, don't we? Left to our own devices, we end up at one end of the spectrum or we end up at the other end of the spectrum. And so we desperately need scripture and we desperately need community to bring us back into the center, into the place where there's that healthy balance. I want to take a closer look at verse 1 in chapter 6, when someone is caught in a sin. We probably all get a little tense. Like you can just feel the anxiety level in the room raised that I'm talking about this, right? Because at some point or another, most of us have been in that spot of the person that's caught in the sin, haven't we? I have. I, I don't know how many times. I could tell you stories if I had time. Oh, my word. And most of the time, this is honestly, we're, we keep it real here. This is a part of Christian community that gets botched. I mean, just royally screwed up bad. When someone is caught in a sin. And this is what makes us want to throw up that hand and say to everybody else in the room, you mind your own business. You stay out of my, you stay out of my life. I don't need your input. Oh, but that posture, that posture is out of bounds. It's just as out of bounds as the person that is behaving in such a way as to inspire the posture. Both of those postures are out of bounds in Christian community. But we feel that way, don't we? First of all, caught, caught in this passage. This is not like, aha, I gotcha. It's not that kind of caught. Like I caught you doing something wrong. Caught is more like the picture of being like trapped in a snare. And so here's what I thought of. I know you guys have seen these videos. You might not have. They, there's all kinds of them that go around Facebook, right? And, and it's like a deer is caught its antlers like tangled in a barbed wire fence, right? And you, and you see the video starts out and they're always shaky because like nobody's got a GoPro like they're supposed to. They're just out hunting and whatever. And you get sick to your stomach while you're watching it. But the, the deer is like spinning and twisting and tugging and no matter what it does, it just gets more and more tangled up its antlers into the barbed wire and the barbed wire is wrapped all around and all around and all around. And this hunter will happen upon the deer and start filming. You know, he wants to... He wants to figure out how to help it get loose. And so first he figures out how to help it calm down so that it can accept his help. And then patiently, you know, pulls his wire cutters out of his knapsack and starts clipping away at the pieces of barbed wire. You know, and sometimes they have to, you know, put something over the deer's head. Sometimes they have to sit on them because, you know, they could mess you up if you get hit by their hooves. But the point is... This is a really good picture of what Paul is talking about in this passage. 
how to restore someone gently that's caught in a sin. But it's not the norm everywhere, is it? I know I'm not the only one that's experienced something different than that. The norm is that someone who's caught in a sin is told they've been caught. I caught you. I see you. I know about you. And then they're told, stop it or else. And that is just about as useless as telling that deer to get out of the fence. Useless. Stop it or else. So Paul is not wasting words in this passage when he says gently, gently restore. And he's not wasting words when he reminds us in the very next breath that one day you may be that deer, but the very next day you may be the one with the wire cutters. And so that's why he says to watch yourself lest you be tempted as well. Don't forget, don't forget that any one of us can find ourselves entangled just as easily. Mutual interplay, checks and balances, and interdependence. I need you, and you need me. I will offer you support, and I will offer you comfort, and I will offer you challenge. And I will choose to accept it when you offer me the same. And I'll tell you, here's the important part, here's an important part, we forget it. I'll tell you when you're doing it well. And I will also tell you when you are hurting me. And we will learn how to listen to each other. We have to learn how to listen. But that's all very much easier said than done, isn't it? So much easier said than done. The truth is this, interdependence within Christian community is only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. Only possible. So I want you to notice something with me about our passage. This is what I find so interesting. So this whole passage is Paul telling the church how to treat each other, right? If you read through chapters 5 and 6, which did you know that that's how you're supposed to read the Bible, like a whole big chunk of it and not just like refrigerator magnet verses, I mean, those are nice, and they help me in the morning when I haven't had my coffee. But, like, the whole thing, all together, chapters 5 and 6, this is Paul saying, here's how you do this. Here's how you treat each other inside the church. But this is what I find really interesting. So remember I said we were going to come back to this most of the time when we hear verses 5, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. It's usually, like, unmoored from the rest of this passage, isn't it? Why do we do that? This passage is bookended by these instructions about relationships within the church. Bookended, right in the middle. So I want you to keep that in mind as I read the rest of this passage. Chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, 
dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we often like to think of this passage whenever we hear it. This is a nice, neat little contrast between the sinner and the saint. Nice, neat little contrast, isn't it? The pagan and the unbeliever, or the unsaved and the saved. But you cannot get around the context here. You can't get around it. One of the biggest dangers when we're reading the scripture is to cast ourselves in all of the heroic roles. Right? So when we read this, we automatically insert ourselves into the bit about the spirit. It's super easy to do here because what we tell ourselves is Paul couldn't possibly be talking to church people in the first part. In verses 19 through 21, he couldn't possibly be talking to church people, could he? And if we're being real here, which we are, we like to be real. If we're being real, we have a tendency to get tripped up on the sex stuff, don't we? Because there's a lot of it in there. But remember, I want you to remember that who Paul was talking about was a body of believers that were coming to follow Jesus Christ out of a culture in which ritual sex was part of their pagan worship. And so it's, it's really reasonable to think that Paul would have to give instructions to people within the church about how worship was going to look a little bit differently than it had for them previously, right? We're not inserting those things into the service order because that's not what we do. But if we look past that, look beyond that, what about those other things? Hatred, discord. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy. Well, I can tell you I've engaged in a couple of those attitudes just in this past week. So I would invite you to consider that what Paul is saying to the people in the church, in the church, here are two ways you could approach this thing. Your flesh is the part of you that wants to do things your own way. Here's what that looks like. Community won't work. It won't work. Because you'll be operating out of your own strength and your own resources. And that's not enough. Because this is hard. You're going to end up fighting and you're going to end up tearing each other to shreds. But, but there is hope because through the power of the Holy Spirit, here's what you are able to do. Healthy community suddenly becomes possible when empowered by the Holy Spirit because you are operating out of God's strength and his resources. 
the flesh and the spirit are in conflict so that you will not just do whatever you want. You will have the opportunity to do things God's way. This is a framework that we need every single day in every single area of our lives. So why on earth would we think this is different when we come into Christian community? When we're doing church together, operating out of the flesh, we can be jealous of someone else's success, their happiness or their good fortune. Why not me? We say, why can't I, you know, my life is hard. Why can't I catch that break? Why can't I, you know, get that good grade? Why can't I get that job offer? You know, jealousy, it rises up sometimes. But operating out of the spirit, we can feel that true love that not only wants the good of someone else, but is willing to participate to make that a reality for them, even when we're suffering. If we're operating out of our flesh, when someone offends us, we get angry. We want to lash out. But when we walk closely with the Spirit, we can find the patience and the self-control that is what we need to deal with people that we experience as difficult. And when we operate out of the flesh, we're prone to bickering and fighting and closing ourselves off from other people. But when the Spirit empowers us, we can find the strength to be kind And to be faithful even when it's hard. And Paul is acknowledging that this is hard. When he exhorts us not to give up because the reward is great. And so here's just one more scripture that we tend to to just pluck right out of its context. And we use it to only apply to out there. When it's, it's really very firmly embedded in this in here passage. We're going to close with Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Within the context of Christian community, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So while we're doing this thing together, this Christian community thing, while we're building ourselves into a family, within the context of the church, do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity within these walls. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. If we approach Christian community operating in our own strength and leaning into our fleshly nature, we will fail. We will reap destruction, not only in broken relationships, but also in becoming completely ineffective in fulfilling our calling as Christ's ambassadors to this hurting world. But if we approach Christian community by leaning into the Holy Spirit in those moments where our differences make us want to take our ball and go home, 
then we have a chance at something incredible. Something bigger than any one of us alone. We have the opportunity, we have the chance, we can be those living stones interlocked, built into a spiritual house. Built into a spiritual house that is safe and it's strong and it's ready for the new family members that have not yet come home. So let's not give up. Let's not give up. Let's bring all of our expectations. Let's bring all of our preferences and let's bring all of our baggage and let's bring our mess. And let's come as we are to the feet of the one that can transform us, both individually and corporately. And let's do the hard but good work of building a healthy community of independent followers of Jesus. Let's choose to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us love well, first each other and then the whole world. Because that's the plan.